to the book of Acts chapter number 14, Acts chapter number 14, and I just want to, uh, I don't often say this, but I want to use this passage as a beginning point uh, to say some things to you this morning, but I, that I believe it would be the will of God for me to tell you. Uh, I believe it would be the will of God because the Spirit of God is leading me to say these things to you. Now, He did not speak audibly to me. Uh, the Lord's able to do that if He wanted to. The Lord has done it many times in the past, not to me, but throughout human history, to speak audibly to people. If He chose to do that, He could, but I've got something better. Uh, I don't have to worry whether my, my ears heard it wrong. How many, somebody's ever said something, and you knew you heard it wrong. Amen? I mean, you knew you heard it wrong. You can't always trust your ears, but the Spirit of God indwells those that know the Lord Jesus Christ, and He can lead and He can speak clearly in their hearts and lives. I've got another sermon I could preach that was prepared, but I believe this is what the Lord would have us to say this morning. Acts chapter number 14, I'd like to begin reading in verse number 23. The Word of God says this, And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. After they had passed throughout Pisidia and they came to Pamphylia, and when they had preached the Word in Perga, they went down to Italia. Then sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. Let's read that last verse again. And then sail, they sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. Father, bless your word this morning. Speak to hearts. I believe that every person in this room is here by divine appointment. God, I believe you have a message for them that you seek to speak to their hearts. Lord, I love you, and I pray that you just help me to be surrendered to you this morning in the preaching of your word. Father, we love you, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'm interested in the phrase in verse number 26 when the Bible says about uh, those that had been appointed and about the missionary journey of Paul, it says that they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. Now you say, preacher, what is meant by that passage of Scripture? Well, I believe there is a couple things that is implied and is explicitly said in that particular passage. I believe one of the things it's saying is that uh, these men, that God had put His hand upon them, that God had called them into the ministry, and that God was using them in the preaching of the grace of God and in the work that He had called them to do. But as I read that verse, I, I'm reminded of this. You know, how many of you have ever heard, known somebody that liked to play matchmaker? You ever known anybody like that, like to play matchmaker? I, I've met people that, that are that way. I mean, listen, two people accidentally sit beside each other on a bus and they got wedding bells ringing. Amen? But, you know, part of that is they're not just saying, when you're, when you're doing matchmaker and you see people like this sometimes and you might have somebody, they come to you and they say, oh, I know somebody that would be perfect for you. You ever, anybody ever said that? You ever heard that before? I know somebody that would be perfect for you. It would be just suited for you. Well, you hope that on the other side of that coin, that if they would be perfect for you, you would hope that you would be perfect for them. Amen? Uh, there's sort of this uh, reciprocation that is supposed to take place. Uh, me and my wife, we're not exactly alike. In fact, uh, I would not necessarily say we are opposites, but we definitely have our differences in personality and occasionally our differences in opinions. Somebody say amen to that. 
Me, I've told you this before. Me and my wife, we don't ever fight. We just have bouts of intense fellowship. Amen. And uh, the, but sometimes, uh, you know, opposites attract. Uh, sometimes we have personality things that that complement one to the other. But can I just say this? That when we read this verse, what they are saying is essentially they are saying you'd be good for the work of the grace of God. But you know, if they're saying that they'd be good for the grace of God. I'd say you could probably turn around and say this, that maybe they're saying also that the grace of God would be good for the work that you have to do. And I want to preach to you on this thought for a few short moments. I've got, uh, the Lord only gave me three thoughts. So anything beyond three, that's me, not Him. So don't blame it on Him. That I want to recommend the grace of God to you this morning. You know, when we talk about the grace of God, what are we talking about? We're talking about God's unmerited favor. In other words, that's God looking down and He doesn't dip into any of your goodness because you don't have any goodness, but He dips into His goodness and He does something for you. You know, when I got saved, I got saved by the grace of God. I didn't earn it. There was nothing I did. I mean, I wasn't a very savable person, if you want to call me that. It's not like God was picking out a baseball team and He looked down from heaven and saw Toby Weber and said, Hey, I need him at shortstop. Amen? Now, there's some folks, that's what they'd have you to believe. That God just looked down and picked out a handful of people and said, I love them, but I won't love anybody else. That's not the God of heaven, my friend. The Bible says that whosoever, whosoever, that He tasted death for every man, His love is upon the whole world. He loves you this morning, just like He loves me. And guess what? You may not like this, but He loves me, just like He loves you. The fact is, God has a love for each and every person in this world. Now, you may say, well, I don't necessarily feel very loved. Well, uh, the love of God can only be experienced through the grace of God. That's the only way you're ever going to know how God loves you and, and feel and understand the love of God is to receive that love by the grace of God. In other words, you've got to quit trying to earn it, and you have to just let God do that for you. You say, but preacher, I've not done anything to deserve that. That's exactly right. That's why it's the grace of God. Say, preacher, I, I don't know if I can promise God that I'll always live for Him. Well, you don't have to promise Him that because it's the grace of God. He's not doing it because of the promises you make. He's not doing it because of the potential you have. He's not doing it because of the properness of your behavior. He's doing it because He loves you. That's why He wants to save you this morning. That's what his concern is. That's why he's interested in you. It's not because you've got it all together. It's because you can't get any of it together. That's why God is interested in you this morning. And I think of three different groups of people that I believe I could probably recommend grace to. With whatever you're going through, there's not a person in this room that won't fall into one of these categories. And I want to recommend the grace of God to you. Let me say, number one, that I can recommend the grace of God to the lost sinner. I can recommend grace to you. You see, you may look at me this morning. I know I'm not much to look at. There's some folks that said, boy, you look good this morning. I said, well, you know, it's easy when you look like I do. It don't take much. So you know, number one, that I'm a liar. Amen. But you may look at me here this morning, standing here with a, with, with a suit and a tie and with the overalls and with the dress shoes on. You may see, you may have walked in this room not knowing me from Adam, and you see me up here and I'm the pastor. But can I tell you that I wasn't always a pastor? Can I tell you, you may look at me and you may say, well, there's a Christian right there, and I am a Christian. I'm a saved man, but I was not always saved because nobody's born saved. You've got to be born again to be saved. Everybody is born lost. And I was born lost, just like you were born lost. And what you see here today is just a sinner that has been saved by God's amazing grace. 
I can recommend grace to the sinner because I was once a sinner in need of God's grace. And when I partook of the grace of God, when I quit trying to save myself and let God save me, then God did save me and He changed my life and He made me a new creature. And I can give a personal, eyewitness, experiential testimony to the lost sinner that the grace of God is good for you this morning. I want you to hear what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. Turn over there with me. Ephesians chapter number 2 this morning. And I want you to know what he says about, about a, a good group of church-going Christian people. Now, these were the, the church at Ephesus. That's one of the only churches Paul didn't have nothing to complain about when he wrote to them. I mean, they had everything together. Their doctrine was right. Their love was right. We know in the book Revelation, it reveals that they, there came a point when they departed, they left their first love. But, but at this time, when Paul writes to this church, I mean, they've got everything together. He doesn't have to go in and fix a bunch of messes and a bunch of problems. You know, how many of you have ever heard someone say this? Well, I used to go to church, but that place is just, it's full of hypocrites. It's just, it's a mess down there. They fuss and argue. You ever heard anyone say that? That wasn't the church at Ephesus. <laughs> when you walked into the church at Ephesus, you saw a church that worked right. And what did Paul say had made the difference in their life? I want you to notice what it says in verse number 1. Paul says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Can I say that I can recommend the grace of God to you this morning? Because you are already lost just by virtue of having been born into this world. You know, sometimes somebody will recommend something. I watch TV sometimes. I know you don't believe that. It's not spiritual to do that, but I do it, so I'll say it. I watch TV sometimes, but, but I've gotten used to it. We, do, we, we watch, like, Internet TV. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, streaming stuff. Anybody, if you're over the age of 50, you, I might as well just talk in tongues. You don't have a clue what I'm saying. But some of the younger people know what I'm talking about. And you watch these streaming things, and when you watch them, they don't have no commercials, you know? You, hey man, you, you remember, you remember back when, when, uh, cable came out? What'd they say? What'd they say? No commercials, right? And I ask most people, and most people say, I don't ever even remember a time there was no commercials. Immediately they start in with the commercials. That's why I like watching this internet, you know, TV. I mean, there's no commercials. And uh, I remember a while back, we, that's all we watch, basically. I mean, we, we don't, if, and, and you know why I like that? Because I can watch something that ain't filthy. Now, now, there's filthy stuff on there if you want to watch it. But if you make your mind up that you're going to do the right thing, you can do the right thing. You ain't got to, listen, you ain't got to have some half-naked woman selling a hamburger jump on the screen right in the middle of whatever you're watching. You're watching about the Civil War or, or, I don't know, the Nazis trying to get the Holy Grail from Indiana Jones or something. You know how they are. But, and I'm not, I'm not being critical. You got cable, whatever's between you and God. I'm just saying that's why I like watching it. I like not having the commercials. And I remember one time, we, we, that's all we'd been watching. Something happened. We, I don't know if the Internet was out or something, but we turned on regular TV for a little while. And I was watching this program, and I was enthralled in it. I mean, I was gripped in it. And then all of a sudden, here come these weird people on the screen trying to sell me something. And I kid you not, I turned and looked at my wife, and I said, What's this? I had spent so much time without the commercials that when they came in, I thought I was going crazy. I mean, I thought, I thought, all, I thought she had switched the channel or something. I hate commercials with passion. I despise a commercial. If I want to go buy something, I'll go buy something. Amen? We got the Internet now. I mean, listen, if, if, I, need to, if I need to have the carpet cleaned in the house, I'll Google it. I, I don't need Stanley Steamer coming on interrupting gun smoke. Somebody say amen to that. You know? And part of the reason that I hate commercials is I am rarely interested in the product that they're selling. 
There have been commercials that I have actively boycotted places because their commercial was so obnoxious. Can I get a witness right there? I just hated the commercial. I'm not interested because I don't need it. Some of y'all still have them landline telephones. You still have them telemarketers call. And what's the first thing you say when they call? You say, no, thank you. I'm not interested. You know why? Because you don't need to upgrade your long distance. You know who you're voting for. You're not interested in giving a survey about Obamacare. You're not interested because it doesn't apply to you. But can I say to you this morning, there is a, a whole group of people that they say, I'm not interested in the grace of God because it doesn't apply to me. I don't need the grace of God. I'm okay on my own. I'm a pretty good person. I've never done anything real wrong. But can I say to you that the Scripture, the very Word of an Almighty God, declares each and every one of us to be dead in our trespasses and sins. I can recommend grace to you because you need grace. You're a lost sinner. You need the grace of God this morning. You may think you don't, but brother, believe me, you do. I can recommend the grace of God to you because you need the grace of God in your life. But I can recommend the grace of God because of your nature. Look what it says in verse number 2. It says this, "...wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world." According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Let me say that you, I can recommend to you the grace of God, His unmerited favor through Jesus Christ. I can recommend that because of the condition, because of your need, but I can recommend it because of the nature that you have. There's some folks say, well, you know, I've made some mistakes in the past, but I'm on the straight and narrow now. No, you're not on the straight and narrow. You're walking according to the course of this world. Isn't it interesting that the Bible uses that term, the course of this world? And isn't that how society is? Listen, there are things we're dealing with now that we would have never thought we would have had to deal with. There's things, I mean, the world is walking a path now that we would have never dreamed. Some of you that are 50, 60, 70 years old, you can't believe the madness and ungodliness that is in this world today. You see, it's a crooked course and it's a changing course, but it's a course that the lost man constantly walks. The fact is, you may say, well, I'm a pretty good person. But you know what you have to say when you say that? You have to say relative to. Relative to. In other words, you may be walking a little straighter than the world's walking, but how are you walking compared to how God walks? Where do you measure up according to His standard of righteousness? Now, let me say this as an imperfect man. Let me say this as a sinner. Let me say this as a man that struggles with temptation, that has a sin nature, that makes mistakes, that fails constantly. Let me say along with you that none of us have the ability in and of ourselves to live right and do right. Our nature is to do wrong. We may say, well, I'll do better. No, you won't. You've made that promise a thousand times, and you broke it a thousand and one. Fact is, we all do wrong. We all sin. We all commit iniquity. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that there is none righteous, no, not one. Therefore, you need the grace of God. You need the grace of God because doing it your way ain't getting it. You need the grace of God because doing it your way ain't 
working. And you know, that brings me to a third thing. Not only because of our need, because of, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and not only because of our nature, because we don't have the capacity to do right. But I want you to notice because of the great cost of salvation. Look what it says in verse number 4. But God, I like that. Wasn't that good? Aren't you glad for the day that God butted into your life and saved you? You was going your own way, doing your own thing. You, you thought you was just fine, but then God showed you your greatest need. But God, now notice this, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Let me tell you why you, if you're lost today, why you need the grace of God. Because you can't afford to pay your debt. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We have offended a thrice holy God who demands and requires perfection. And you may say, but preacher, I'll try to do better. Well, if you're trying to do better, you're just trying to keep up the account. You can't do anything about the debt you already owe. You say, but preacher, what if I die and go to hell? Won't that pay for my sin? No, you know even that won't pay for your sin. You say, how do you know that? Because you'll be in hell eternally. When we went and bought our new house, we took out a 30-year loan. That sounds scary, don't it? 30-year loan. 30-year loan. I'm going to have grandkids by the time I pay my house off. But there is an end to it. You know why? Because it's a debt we're going to pay. I'm going to tell you something. At the end of 30 years, at the end, what is that, like 360 months? Is that right? I'm not paying 361. Somebody say amen to that. Once my debt is paid, it is paid, and it belongs to me. You know why? It's a debt I can pay. It may take me 30 years to do it. It may take a lot of saving, a lot of sacrifice to do it. It may take a lot of diligence and a lot, a, a, lot of, a lot of surrender and submission to those fiscal laws to do it. But I can pay it off. And so there's a light at the end of the tunnel. The Bible says this of the lost person that dies and goes to hell, that the smoke of their torment arose up forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. You say, why, preacher? Because it's a debt you cannot pay. If you're going to be saved, there's only one way to be saved. And that's by the riches of God's mercy and the riches of His grace. Because you may be a pauper. You may not be able to pay. You may not be able to do a good... Listen, listen. you can go, I mean, get baptized so many times that you're waterlogged. Join so many churches that they run you off. Do as much good work as you possibly can and it won't even put a dent in your sin debt. There's only one way to be saved. And I recommend grace to you because it can pay the cost. Uh, for God, out of the great riches of His mercy. See, what, what may cost you uh, more than you can ever pay, and it did cost God a dear price, but His grace and His riches are exceedingly abundantly above anything we could ever dream, and God has been able to pay your price, and if you'll accept it, He'll pay your debt, and He'll save you by His grace. Very simply this, I recommend grace to you because you can't be saved any other way. That's why I recommend grace to you, because you can't be saved any other way. It's funny, you know, they started this Obamacare thing, right? And uh, I remember hearing a fellow say one time, he said there had been record enrollment in Obamacare. Record enrollment. 
He said, it's amazing what people will do when you pass a law requiring them to do it and fine them if they don't. Amen? You know, uh, it's all headed that way. You say, what do you think about government health care, preacher? I think one of these days we ain't going to be asked what we think about it anymore. And at that point, listen, we might as well, because there ain't no, just die in a ditch. Somebody say amen to that. You see, you know, one of the reasons in that day, it'll be easy for them to recommend it to you because there's no other option. Can I just say to you this morning, I can recommend grace to you. There's no other option. You either are saved by the grace of God or you won't be saved. You can try all the good works you want. You can join all the church you want. You can just sit there and believe you're okay. Nobody can stop you from doing that. Listen, most of the known world is just sitting around thinking they're okay. But they're going to die and go to hell because it's not enough just to think you're okay. You've got to be saved by God's grace. I can recommend it to you because that's the only option. You can do all the good works you want. You can believe you're okay. You can call Christians a liar. You can call the the Word of God a book of fairy tales. You can do that as long as you want, but that won't save you. Only by grace can you be saved. That's what he says. Look at the next verse. For how? How can we be saved? He says in verse number uh, 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Only one way to be saved, and that's by the grace of God. You say, now get down to it, preacher. What does that mean? You have to recognize you're a sinner. Recognize you owe a debt that you cannot pay. You've got to quit trying to pay it yourself. You've got to realize you can't pay it. And you've got to believe upon the one that died on the cross to pay your debt. You have to call upon Him. You know He's risen. He's alive. He hears you. He'll hear you. If you'll fall on your knees and say, Lord, I'm a sinner, please save me. He's alive and well today, and He'll hear from heaven, and He'll save you. That's what the grace of God is. You quit trying to do it yourself, and you accept what God has done for you. I'd say for the sinner, I can recommend the grace of God. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. I'd say that I can recommend the grace of God for the saint this morning. You say, oh, preacher, I'm saved. I'm done with all that grace business. No. If you're saved, <laughs> then you just got started with all this grace business. Paul spent a lot of time in the beginning of the book of Galatians showing folks that they can't be saved by the law. And that the law has no ability to justify a man. That by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Faith has always been the single and only means of approaching unto God. The law had a dispensational function and purpose, just as conscience did, just as covenant did. But those purposes were never a means and avenue to approaching unto God. Abraham was saved by faith. David was saved by faith. Enoch believed God, right? And he walked with God. Noah believed God. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It's always been by faith. And Paul has just spent the first part of the book of Galatians showing that to them. And now he says this in verse uh, 1 of chapter 5. He says, Stand fast, therefore... In the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Let me say this to you. Number one, for the saint, I can recommend grace to you this morning. Because the law has completed its purpose. And God doesn't need your good works. Now, don't misunderstand me. I believe God changes our lives. And when the Bible talks about those that seek to be justified by the law, uh, that they have fallen from grace, just a few verses down later, you see, we think if we try real hard, that's going to elevate us. But Paul says if you try real hard instead of just trusting and obeying the leading of the Spirit of God, that lowers your level of living. 
I'd say that as a, as a saved person that has been saved by God's grace, that all that God expects of me is to obey the teaching of His Word and the leading of His Spirit. Now you say, but preacher, what about? Well, all the whatabouts fall underneath the teaching of His Word and the leading of His Spirit. It's not through you trying real hard. It's through you quitting trying and surrendering and obeying the leading of the Spirit of God. God doesn't need our good works. There are two chief heresies Paul's dealing with in the book of Galatians. You know, one is that you have to be circumcised to be saved. In other words, we have to help God save us. And then the second is that keeping the law would make you more saved or better saved or would keep you saved. And this is what he's dealing with in saying this. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, you were placed within Jesus Christ. When God looks at you, He don't see you, He sees Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is perfect. He is perfect. And so our paltry attempts at trying to impress God are to no avail. Because let me tell you something, this sounds simple, but ain't nobody... Listen, I love everybody's kids. Amen? I love everybody's kids. But I don't think you'll be harsh at me for saying that I love my little boy more than everybody else's. And there's a lot of times little kids do impressive things, but it's funny. You know, let me tell you something. If your child, if your child ran through that back door and did cartwheels, I'm talking about one of these little fellas that did cartwheels all down the center aisle, did a triple backflip onto the communion table, jumped up, clung to the lights, monkey swung all the way back through the lights, did a backflip and ran out the back door, that'd be impressive, right? 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 I mean, I'd be impressed. I'd be impressed. I'd rather see my little boy go use the potty. It's amazing. When you're potty training, that's all life is, you know? And he knows it too. You know what he'll say? He'll use the potty. He'll look at his mom. He'll say, I made that for you. And we're like, well, thank you, son. That means something, right? That'd be, if I said that to you, that'd be an insult. If I drug you in the restroom and said, I made that for you, you'd punch me in the mouth. But my little boy does it. You know why? You're never going to impress me more than my little boy impresses me. Because I love him. (laughs) I love him and he's mine and I care and I'm interested in him. Let me tell you something. You do all you can to impress God, but nobody's going to impress him more than his only begotten, beloved son. I'd say that I can recommend grace to the saved person, to the, to the saint, because God doesn't need your good works. But I'd say this, I can recommend grace to you because grace is a lot more efficient than the law is. You know what he says? Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Isn't that interesting? We were talking about it in Sunday school this morning. We were talking about folks that struggle with the same thing over and over and over again. I've been like that. You probably have too. And they'll go down, they'll fall on the altar, and they'll make God every promise they can think of. You know that the Bible is full of promises that God makes you, but never once does God ask you to make Him a promise. Find it for me. Find me somewhere where God says, promise me you'll do this. You don't find it anywhere. And that attempt to try to just make commitment after commitment, I'm going to do better, I'm going to do better, I'm going to do better. All it does is trip you up. You'll stay in the same place, you'll struggle with the same sins 30 years from now that you're struggling with today. Say, well, preacher, what do I do then? You say, Lord, I'm going to quit trying and I'm just going to, I'm not going to give the next 30 years to you because I can't promise you that, but I'll give you tomorrow. And if you'll lead me by your spirit, I'll obey. I'll do what you ask of me. I'm going to quit trying to do it myself and just allow you to lead and guide me. That's how you kick off those yokes. That's how you get them cords from around your ankles. 
You quit trying to make God all these promises. Just say, Lord, if you'll lead me, I'll follow. If you'll lead me, I will follow. Let me say this. I can recommend grace to the saint, not only because uh, that God's not doesn't need your good works, and I can recommend grace to you, not only because uh, it's the only means, it's the only way, but I can recommend grace. Look what he says in the next few verses. Verse number 2, he says this, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. You are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, or uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Can I recommend grace to you for this reason? It will show you the right path to walk. It's interesting he says that neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. And, you know, that's what we're seeing today in, in society. I mean, uh, uh, we're seeing polar extremes. Am I right? You know, you can look, you can see the Roman Catholic Church with their robes, with their pomp, with their circumstance, with, with, their, uh, with their attitude of here's your rules, here's your regulations, here's what you must do. You can look on the other side, you can go all around church, go to these rock star churches. You know the ones I'm talking about. I mean, the, you know, the, the fog machine breaks and it kills the service. Amen? You know? And uh, you, you find people that are boasting in their circumcision, meaning their good works, or their uncircumcision, meaning their counterculture, their lack of good works, their rebelliousness. That's what you see. It was like that in Paul's day, too. Paul was aware of that. You remember he stood on Mars Hill, and he was, he was preaching to two groups of people, the Epicureans and Stoics. You say, now, who were those people? Well, the Stoics were a very minimalistic group. Of, of people. They believed that nothing of this life mattered, only that which was spiritual and ethereal mattered, and that the way they could attain that was by denying self and keeping rigid rules and somehow getting in touch and tapping into an otherworldly element. And then there was the Epicureans. You know what they was? There's the opposite. They believed that there was nothing in the life to come, only what you could enjoy right now, only how you could live it up right now. So they didn't try to do right. They didn't try to live right. Anything wicked, anything they could do that would please their, their flesh and their lust and their desires, they'd live that way. You know what Paul did? He didn't stand up and say, you know, these Epicureans, they're on to something. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. He didn't say that. That's how a lot of churches are, right? That's how a lot of churches are. You know, I'm just a sinner, and so I'm going to keep living like one. That's how a lot of churches are. And then there's a lot of, you know, a lot of churches the other way. He didn't say, now these Stoics, they're really on to something. You better toe the line. Now, you know what he did? He walked up and down those gods, those pagan false gods. No telling how much blood had been bathed upon those altars. No telling how many lives, whether animal or human, had been shed upon those altars. No telling how many tears had fallen in heartbreak in those altars. And they had a God to everybody that you could imagine. So like modern day Christianity. They, I mean, it was Burger King. You could have it your way. Any type of God that you wanted, God could look any way that you wanted Him to look. And Paul walks down through there and he finds a little idol, a little God down at the very end and he sees a plaque that says to the unknown God. He says, hey, that's my God right there. That's the one I want to preach to you, the one that you don't know anything about. The one that you quit trying to figure out and just recognize that He's God just the same. That's the God that I want to preach to you. So he is revealing to them this, that the true path and the true walk of grace is not found in polar extremes, nor is it found in compromise but it's found in gentle obedience to the Spirit of God. 
That's how God accomplishes it. You say, I want to live right, preacher, then obey the Spirit of God. He'll never lead you wrong. He'll never lead you wrong. You say, but I know somebody, and they said the Spirit of God was in. Well, test it according to the Scriptures. Right? I've known people said the Spirit of God told them they need to talk in tongues, but the problem is my Bible says that tongues shall cease. Tongues shall cease. I've known people that said that the Spirit of God told them to go out and, and, and walk out on, on their family or to, or, or to shack up with somebody, but the problem is the Word of God teaches us explicitly against that. It says that marriage is honorable above all the bed undefiled. See, the fact is, I don't have to be scared about telling people to walk in the Holy Ghost because the Word of God is the acid test as to what people say about the leading of the Spirit of God. People follow the Spirit of God. It'll always lead them right. He won't ever tell you anything, but it's what you need to hear and what you need to do. I'd say that for the saint, I could recommend the grace of God this morning. But let me give you one more and I'm done. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12 with me. I'd say for the sinner, I can recommend God's grace to you this morning. It's enough. It's enough. God doesn't need His grace and your baptism. God doesn't need His grace and your promises. God doesn't need His grace and your reformation. God needs only His grace. He's paid the price. If you'll accept, if you'll receive that grace, it'll be sufficient to save you this morning. But listen, if you turn it away, there's no other way. That's the only way. If you turn it away, you've turned away your only hope. That's the only way. I'd say I could recommend God's grace to the saint this morning. You say, how do I live right, preacher? How do I do right? You do it by obeying the Spirit of God as He exercises grace in the leading of your life. But I'd say that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I could probably recommend grace to the struggling this morning. Paul comes to an interesting time in his life. It says in verse number 1, It's not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. Now, he's been talking to him about his qualifications, his credentials in the ministry. And it's interesting that when he sums it up, he sums it up not with his strength, but with his weakness. It is our weakness that makes us men of God, not our strength. Because only when we acknowledge our weakness can God's strength be exercised. No man has to worry about getting too weak for God. But I've known lots of men that in their strength forsook Him. When they wax strong, they cease to lean on Him. Go through the Old Testament historical books, you'll find king after king that did that. Paul's given his credentials for the ministry. And he said, it's not expedient. He's saying, it's not good, it's not profitable for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. It says, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to... Uh, that's part of the problem I have with, with all these book deals, you know. Some little six-year-old goes to heaven, comes back... And, and, I mean, God wouldn't let the Apostle Paul say anything, but he's, he's prayed in this little six-year-old on Oprah and got him a half-million-dollar book deal. Somebody say amen to that. I mean, that, let me tell you, every time somebody went to heaven, there's always more they couldn't tell than there was that they could tell. Somebody say amen to that. Because I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the hearts of men the things that God hath prepared for them that love Him. Paul says there's a lot of things God said it's not lawful for you to utter. And he says in verse 5, of such a one will I glory. Yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. He's saying this, I could brag, but I don't want to brag. I'll let God do the bragging if there's any bragging to be done. 
So I don't want to put on, I don't want to pretend to be somebody because I'm nobody. He says in verse 7, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Now let me say this, we see there the portrait of a struggling man. This is a man that had seen great things in his life. God had caught him up into the third heaven. He had been above the mountaintop experience. He had seen things no man had ever seen. And you would think a man like that would be lauded by the world and applauded by the world. And yet he finds that when he comes down, the height wherewith he was exalted seemed to be the depth wherewith he was abased. And when he comes back down, God, the Bible says, sends him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him. Now, let me say this. Part of the things that we struggle with is that when we are struggling, we don't feel like it is a gift from God. We feel like it is an assault from Satan. And the fact is, it can be both. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm plagued by my own weakness. My own weakness. We don't know what it is, and the Bible doesn't tell us what it is. Commentators have a thousand opinions, but if God wanted us to know, He would have told us. But we believe it was probably a physical ailment that He struggled with of some kind. And He says, it's a thorn in the flesh, a nagging, constant reminder of my mortality and my weakness. You know, sometimes that's why folks are struggling. They get old. That's just a reality. They get sick. They have afflictions. They hurt. And they feel plagued by those things, this thorn in the flesh. Then he called it a messenger of Satan. Sometimes we're struggling because we feel like Satan is having a heyday in our life. We feel like somehow, I mean, you didn't open the door, but somebody must open the door because here he is. And he's oppressing and he's persecuting and your life is in pieces and you don't know where it went wrong and you can't figure it out. The only thing you can say is Satan must be after me. And so you say it's a messenger of Satan in my life. And he says, because I know it's a thorn in the flesh, and because I know it's a messenger of Satan, I started to pray about it. And he says, not only was I struggling because of the weakness and infirmity of my flesh, not only was I struggling because I felt like the devil was gaining ground in my life, but I was struggling because my relationship with God, it seemed, had not been what it used to be. Paul's a man that prayed and God answered Go through the book of Acts. When Paul prayed, the prisons shook. When Paul prayed, the world was turned upside down. When Paul prayed, continents were shaken for Jesus Christ. And now here's this piddly little thing. I'm sure the tongue started wagging. Physician, heal thyself. That's what they said about his Savior. Oh, he's a great man of God. Why don't he just pray and pray it away? And he tried. He prayed. Everything he thought he knew about God didn't make sense right then. Because God's a God of prayer. God is a God of faith. God is a God that loves His children, that responds when they plead, whose heart is both broken and, and, and bruised with their infirmities and weaknesses. We have a high priest which is touched, which can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Everything he knew about God didn't make sense in that moment. He's praying. He's begging God for this three times. You know what? I don't think that means he threw it in when he was asking the blessing on the meal three times. I think what he is saying is, I went through three seasons of prayer about this. 
It went on and off my prayer list three times. I begged God for it, and I begged God for it, and I begged God for it. We see a portrait of a man that's struggling, but I want you to know the word that God gave him. What did he learn? What's the revelation he gives? Well, he finds out God doesn't necessarily work the way that he thought, because look what it says in verse number 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. We see the portrait of a struggling man, but we see the perfecting of a struggling man. You know what he couldn't figure? He couldn't understand that he needed more grace in his life. But grace can only be given to those in need. Grace can only be given to those in need. Those that don't need it won't accept it because that's the pride of the human heart. There's sometimes, listen, I've met people that did need help and wouldn't accept it because they were too prideful. Let alone those that don't need help, who often will not receive it. And you know what God was doing? God was bringing him to a place of need so that he could fill that need. God, listen, for a saved individual, you know why God lets you feel emptiness? So that he can fill it. You know why God lets you get thirsty? So that he can give you a drink of everlasting and living water. You know, the problem is not, if we're saved by the grace of God, the problem is not that the well's dry. The problem is we won't drink of it. So sometimes God has to let us get a little thirsty so that we'll drink of it. So that we'll say like the psalmist that my soul panteth after God as the heart panteth after the water brook. The psalmist said God made me thirsty so that I'd partake of the grace that He had for me. You see, the fact is, he couldn't figure out how to change God and get God to do what he wanted. But the thing he couldn't understand is that God was trying to change him and get him to do what God wanted. That's how prayer is, you know. Prayer changes us a lot more than it changes God. And I believe in prayer. And I believe prayer changes things. And I don't understand everything about that. But my Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So I believe it. I can't reconcile that with everything I know about God, but my Bible says that prayer changes things. So I believe prayer changes things. But I believe prayer changes more in us than it ever changes anywhere else. Prayer is an internal thing before it's ever an eternal thing. And God is trying to bring us to a place of need. I want you to notice. (laughs) I like this. I want you to notice the portrait of a struggling man. I want you to notice the perfection of a struggling man. God was bringing him to a place... But now I want you to notice the pride of a struggling man. Now, it's not the pride he had before. But look what it says, the end of verse 9. Most gladly. Wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Oh, God healed him, that's why he's glad. No, God didn't heal him. God changed his circumstances, that's why he's glad. No, that's not what your Bible says. God didn't change anything in Paul's circumstances, but he sure changed something in Paul's spirit. Because everything's exactly the same. And Paul says, most gladly. Most gladly. You know, you're trying to work it all out. What you need to understand is, a lot of times, you need to quit trying to work it out and find out that God's enough anyway. That's what God showed him. So you think you need this, but all you need is me. And, and until you get that, you're always going to feel your need for this other thing. Till you finally understand that I 
am all that you need. Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. He says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my ministry. It's not what my Bible says. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my success. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my satisfaction. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my glory. No! He says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know the pride that he had now? It wasn't that he was, he was working God out, it was that God was working him out. The, the pride that he had now, the thing that he boasted about now, was not that he had everything figured out, but that he had a God that had everything figured out. And that God was working and doing something in his life. You see, the fact is, you, you're trying to find some magic recipe that's going to fix everything. And what you need to understand is this, that you don't need a magic recipe. You just need, need to yield and kneel before the God of all creation and allow His grace to be sufficient for you.